God together. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me. Are you doing well? Yeah? Great. I, um, it's such a privilege, actually, to be invited to come and share something from the Bible and to encourage you. Um, I think we, we've been here before, some years ago, but I was here with a guitar and was leading some worship, and I, I can't remember when that was. You're probably looking at me thinking, how old is this guy if he's been, been around? Um, I'm 30 years old. Um, I'm married to Ruksha here. Our marriage is awesome because Ruksha is awesome. Um, less awesome because of me, but we, we're doing our best. We've been married for about just under four years, and um, marriage is great, isn't it, for those of you that are married? It's a challenge, <laughs> but it's great. Yes. <laughs> Get into trouble after that, can't you? Um, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm part of a, a church called Southampton Lighthouse International Church, part of the team there. Pretty much grown up in the church, moved away from university to London, came back and uh, joined the team just last year officially. And it's, it's a fascinating community for me to have grown up in. My dad is one of the, the leaders of the church. And I just, want, I just want to start by telling you a little bit of his story because his story is something... I can't stand here saying I, I figured this all out myself. Um, you know, it is by grace we heard earlier. It's not, not anything that we've done. But I believe God broke into my family in a spectacular way in the previous generation. And, and so my dad comes from a Sikh background, and he was born in India, in a village in India, and then he moved to the UK when he was about seven years old. And, and, and at the age of 15, he was asking questions, a little bit like the ones that you might be asking when you go on the street, what happens when I die? What happens when I die? What happens? Is there more to life than just this? And he would ask his parents, and they would say, well, if you do this, and possibly if you do that, and maybe if you do this, and if you're good enough, then maybe you'll be in heaven. He was not satisfied with that. My dad, I've always described my dad as a bit of a rebel. Um, He was not satisfied with that. He went off, and he began to ask some of his other Christian friends, what happens when I die? And they told him about Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, a relationship that he could have with, with him. And it opened his heart to the gospel. And he made this commitment to Jesus. And for three years, he was a secret Christian. He did not tell his parents. If he had told his parents, they could have kicked him out. They could have done all sorts of things. So he didn't tell them. And then one day, the, the, well, my, pet, my grandparents, they found out about this secret faith. My dad was sneaking out to church uh, on Sundays. Can you imagine that? Sneaking out to church. And they found out about his faith. And they sat down with him and brought the Sikh elders of the community to his house, trying to convince him these Christians had brainwashed him. And he listened politely, ignored them, and carried on. And then he met my mom, who was actually from a Hindu background. And she came to know the Lord as well through their friendship. And then they were in a secret relationship for three years. My dad did things in secret for periods of time that were three years, apparently. And one day they were walking down the street together, hand in hand. If you're in a secret relationship, don't walk down the street hand in hand. As he was doing that, my granddad's friend saw him. And my dad saw this friend, and he, in his least heroic moment, pushed my mom to one side and tried to run away. It didn't work. He got home, and my granddad, the thing he had done in that time is he had booked my dad on a, onto a plane to India to get him married off, because that's what you did. That's the culture. That's the background. And so my dad 
goes to India, and he gets incredibly unwell. And at the time, I think it was horrific, but he looks back and thinks and knows, really, it's the Lord's hand on him. He didn't get married there. He came back to the UK. He got well, and the first thing he did was marry my mum. I tell you that because I want to let you know that I come from a Bollywood family. It's this incredible story of love. And I grew up asking the question, why would you change your religion or your beliefs? Why wouldn't you just follow what your family have done? And it cost my dad everything in so many ways. And I was challenged by that. And then as the years went on, I would watch my dad with this consistent faith. And I'd watch these other leaders in our church with this consistent faith. And I'd ask the question, not just why did you do that, but how are you doing that? How are you constantly being effective as a Christian? And we've, you know, this church that I go to is just phenomenal. It began as a mission to people from Hindu, Muslim, and Sikh background. And about 20 years ago, God gave the leaders a particular word to pray to see at least one person from Asian background come to know Jesus per month. Up until that point, they had hardly seen any. And in that first week that God gave that word, five people came to know Christ. And then month by month, that has happened. And 10 years ago, God upgraded the number. This isn't just about numbers, it's about souls. But, but the Lord said to the leaders there, pray for several per month to come to know Jesus. And that's been happening for the last decade. So our church is full of new believers. Uh, it's messy work. There's a, a, we, we think around about a third of the people that are part of the church have been Christians less than five years. There's a lot of discipleship going on. And I've grown up looking at those wonderful men and women who have led, thinking, how on earth have you done that? Because if it's based on our emotions, if it's based on our, our feelings or the, or the weather, we go up and down, don't we? And yet the charge in the scriptures is that we would be consistent and faithful. In every season of life, that we would be consistent and faithful. The expectation is that no matter what season you're in right now, you should be growing and producing fruit. I don't know what season you're in. Maybe, maybe you're at the mountaintop, or maybe you're in the valley. But the expectation is that you should be growing and producing fruit. That is a challenge to our heart. And I, I want to I suggest this this morning. That the way we view Jesus and what we do for Jesus is directly linked. The way we see Jesus and how we live for Jesus is directly linked. Does that make, does that make sense? So what's your vision of Jesus? That's the question. What's your vision of Jesus? J.I. Packer, well-known theologian, he, he says this. He says, a pygmy view of God will produce a pygmy Christian. A pygmy is a small or a miniature view. If we've got a small view of God, then we are going to be small in spiritual stature. And what he's saying that a small view will yield spiritual decay, but a high view will bring strength and maturity. In a minute, I'm going to show, get the guys to show you a video. Um, There's a a friend of of ours called Pete who who helps lead something called 24-7 Prayer. And about 16 years ago, 17 years ago, uh, he wrote a poem on the first 24-7 prayer room. And he just scribbled it on the wall and didn't sign it. And then he walked out. And a few weeks later, he heard that poem being read back over a radio station as he was driving. And he thought, how did that happen? How did it escape the room? Sometime later, 
he heard that that same poem was being used to inspire over 100,000 underground churches in China. Some years later, he heard that this same poem was, had been recorded, or he was involved in the recording of it, and it was in, some DJs mixed it with some music, and over a million young people in Spain were praying these words to the Lord. And, and then what 24-7 did uh, about a year ago, a year and a half ago, is they put together this video. Some of you may have seen it, and it, it, it's this, this poem put to visuals. I'd love for us just to, to look at this as a bit of a, a kickstart into this direction of what's your vision for Jesus. Take a, take a look at this. So this guy comes up to me and says, what's the vision? What's the big idea? I open my mouth and words come out like this. The vision. The vision is Jesus. Obsessively, dangerously, undeniably, Jesus. The vision is an army of young people. You see bones, I see an army. And they are free from materialism. They laugh at nine to five little prisons. They could eat caviar on Monday and cross on Tuesday. They wouldn't even notice. They are mobile like the wind. They belong to the nations. They need no passport. People write their addresses in pencil and wonder at their strange existence. They are free, yet they are slaves of the hurting and dirty and dying. What's the vision? The vision is holiness that hurts the eyes. It makes children laugh and adults angry. It gave up the game of minimum integrity long ago to reach for the stars. It scorns the good and strains for the best. It is dangerously pure. Light flickers from every secret motive, every private conversation. It loves people away from their suicide leaps, their Satan games. This is an army that will lay down its life for the cause. A million times a day, its soldiers choose to lose that they might one day win the great well done of faithful sons and daughters. Such heroes are as radical on Monday morning as Sunday night. They do not need fame from names. Instead, they grin quietly upwards and hear the crowds chant again and again come on and this is the sound of the underground the whisper of history in the making foundations shaking revolutionaries dreaming once again mystery is scheming in whispers conspiracy is breathing this is the sound of the underground and the army is disciplined young people who beat their bodies into submission every soldier would take a bullet for his comrade at arms the tattoo on their back boasts for me to live is Christ and to die is gain sacrifice fuels the fire of victory in their upward eyes winners Martyrs, who can stop them? Can hormones hold them back? Can failure succeed? Can fear scare them or death kill them? And the generation prays like a dying man with groans beyond talking, with warrior cries, sulfuric tears, and with great barrel loads of laughter, waiting, watching 24, 7, 3, 6, 5, 
whatever it takes they will give breaking the rules shaking mediocrity from its cozy little hide laying down their rights and their precious little wrongs laughing at labels fasting essentials the advertisers cannot mold them hollywood cannot hold them peer pressure is powerless to shake their resolve at late night parties before cockroach cries they are incredibly cool dangerously attractive inside and on the outside they hardly care they wear clothes like costumes to communicate and celebrate but never to hide would they surrender their image or their popularity they would lay down their very lives swap seats with the man on death row guilty as hell a throne from an electric chair with blood and sweat and many tears with sleepless nights and fruitless days they pray as if it all depends on god and live as if it all depends on them their dna chooses jesus he breathes out and they breathe in their subconscious sings they had a blood transfusion with jesus their words make demons scream in shopping centers don't you hear them coming herald the widows summon the losers and the freaks here comes the frightened and the forgotten with fire in their eyes they walk tall and trees abroad skyscrapers bow mountains of the wolf by these children of another dimension their prayers summon the hounds of heaven and invoke the ancient dream of eden and this vision will be it will come to pass it will come easily and it will come soon how do i know because this is the longing of creation itself the groaning of the spirit the very dream of god my tomorrow is his today my distant hope is his 3d and my feeble whispered faithless prayer invokes a thunderous resounding lone shaking great amen from countless angels from heroes of the faith from christ him self and he is the original dreamer the ultimate winner guaranteed feel like talking after I watch that video. It's cool, right? It's a call to arms that a whole generation has been praying along with those guys at the 24-7 movement. And, you know, today the goal is not that you would walk away going, oh, that was a nice talk or that, that was interesting. The goal is that our hearts would be undone in worship to that Jesus. And we go, wow! Isn't he amazing? You know, sometimes I make a deal with God. I don't know if you pray these prayers. Come on, Lord, make this talk great. Make my talk awesome, Lord. Sometimes I, I pray that before I'm preaching somewhere. And I remember I was doing this some, some months back, and it could be for any activity. And I was praying, come on, Lord, make my talk awesome. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit whispered back. said, Sanjay, the point of your talk is not that you're awesome. The point of your talk is that I'm awesome. That's the heartbeat of any activity that we do, that Jesus would be front and center, that he would be awesome. He would be larger in our view than anything else. What's your vision of Jesus? That's the question. And, and really, the goal would be that when we walk out of here, we may have walked in pygmy Christians, but we would walk out giants because we see him a little bit more clearly. And for me, the, the, one of the greatest passages in the New Testament I want us just to focus on for a few minutes is in Colossians. This is Paul, and he's writing to the Colossians. And they got themselves in a bit of a mess, really. They're into angel worship, and, and maybe they've lost the vision of who Jesus is, who Jesus is and they, he speaks to them, 
these six verses which just blow me away. Every time I read this, I have to just stop, put the Bible down and go, wow, Lord, you're amazing. Um, So if you've got your Bible, Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 15. Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 15. I'll just read these out. And this is a description that Paul gives to the church there about Jesus. It says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Father, would you open our hearts right now to your word? Would you allow it to hit us hard? In places maybe that we've forgotten, places that we've gone cold or we've fallen asleep. Wake us up to your power and your working. And Lord, I pray for this church. Thank you so much for all they're doing. Thank you for their gathering together today. We pray as we are here as your body, we wouldn't just leave church in the service, but we would go and be the church in the world with the right vision. Give us the right lenses, we pray today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I I was preaching somewhere a few months ago, and I was I was really going for it, you know, I was, I was really going for it, and I was preaching about the freedom in Jesus, and then afterwards, this, this young man came up to me, and he, said, he told me he was an atheist. I'm not sure entirely why, why he had chosen to come to this thing that we were at, but he told me he was an atheist, and I thought, well, my preach obviously didn't convert him, it didn't, it didn't do its job, and he, he started to tell me that he used to be a Christian, but he was no longer a Christian, he couldn't believe in God anymore. And then he proceeded to grill me on all kinds of areas uh, to do with, with kind of sexuality and science and, and all the, you know, I did a music degree, so I didn't really know what to do um, in that situation. I did my best to, to answer these questions. And then he said, you know, I used to go to church, but it was, it was kind of the, the church and the religiousness of it and some people that really put me off of the whole Christian thing. And in the midst of it, I just felt like I needed to say to him, and maybe it was the Lord nudging me, but I felt like I had to say to him, do you realize that Christianity isn't actually about Christianity? And he looked at me and he said, what? I said, yeah, Christianity isn't about Christianity. Christianity is about Christ. It's about Jesus. And he looked at me and he said, you know, I didn't ever think of it that way. I said, yeah, well, when I look at the Bible, when I read the Old Testament and the New Testament, and I, and I read through all the books, of, and he had some knowledge of the Bible. When I read through the books of the Bible, I realize everything is pointing to the person of Jesus. His, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, everything's pointing towards the person of Jesus. Did you know that? And he said, you know, I, I didn't know that. He said, because if, if I had known that, he said, you know, actually, if I was to become a Christian again, it would probably be because of Jesus. I was like, that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. 
He said, yeah, because, you know, when I think about who Jesus is, how, how brilliant his words were, how his actions married with that, how he did all these, this is the atheist speaking, how he did all these wonderful things. He, was, he treated men and women with equality. He, he never judged. He was just kind. And, and I, I had to tell him to stop because he might convert me halfway through. And he continued and continued. And I said to him, I said to him, look, look, you need to keep looking at this person, Jesus. Because if you keep investigating, you keep looking, you keep asking questions, I guarantee you, you'll meet with him. Because that's exactly what happened to me. I grew up in this Christian home, but it wasn't a result of my parents. They, they in fact, gave me such choice and freedom. I, I, I was challenged by friends who are Hindus, Muslims, and Sikhs when they asked me, what are you? They expected me to be that at college. And I remember feeling like a hypocrite when I said I was a Christian. And so I went home and I began to read the Gospels. And I remember really reading about Jesus. And when I read about his life, and I thought, you know, if this stuff is real, if this guy is real, it changes everything. It changes everything. If, he, if the Bible is to be believed, he's still alive right now. And I can have a relationship with him. And it began to change everything. And when I, when I think about this passage... When I think about this passage, it's, it's saying the vision is Jesus. You can't get bigger than that. You can't get smaller than that. It is all about him. This isn't about our version of Christianity. This isn't about the, the songs we sing or the style we do it in. It's not the religious traditions that we've grown up with. It's about him. It's always about him. And I think this passage really just shows three key relationships that Jesus has. And I, I want to try and explore that really briefly here. So the, the first is this, that... Jesus is God. I know it sounds obvious, especially if you've been in church for a little while. Jesus is God. It says this, verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God. You know, God is invisible. You can't touch or see God in the same way that you can with the person next to you. You can't invite him around for dinner. You can invite me around for dinner. You can't invite him around for dinner. And yet this says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Notice it doesn't say he's made in the image of God. That's what it says about mankind and human beings back in Genesis, that we are made in the image of God. But Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That, that means that he's the exact representation, as it says in Hebrews. He's the exact representation of God, him and the Father, Jesus and the Father of the same substance. And when we start to recognize this, we realize he's not just a sketch or an outline or a summary. He's not a lesser being. This central person of Jesus who stepped into the world 2,000 years ago, it says in verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Not a little bit of his fullness. Not a small measure of his fullness, but all his fullness. I don't know how you think about that. If this isn't true, then all the songs we just sang were blasphemy. If this isn't true, then all the things we do in the church is blasphemy, that we miss the point. And, and the scriptures speak of everywhere. I, I won't go through all of them, but think about right at the beginning of John's gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Capital W for word that's talking about Jesus. 
In Hebrews, it talks about him being the exact representation. And, and we often talk about Jesus being the son of God or God's son. And he's also the son of man. This exact representation of man and God. And I love the fact that Jesus is this bridge connecting sinful man to holy God. The only way, the genius of God is to create a, a man who steps into our situation. One of the reasons I chose to be a Christian was because the Bible is the most honest book. I was expecting to read it and it to tell me, be a good, be a good lad. You know, do, do better, do well, and eventually, possibly, maybe, you'll get into heaven. But it just calls it as it is. It says you'll never be good enough. You'll never figure it out by yourself. You need a savior. And so God sends his son, this perfect representation of God and man together, who lives the life we never could have lived. He dies the death we probably should have died. And then he defeats death and sin and rises again. This is that Jesus. This is God with sin on, with sin on, with skin on. <laughs> Definitely not with sin on anymore. But he did take that for us, right? He took it for us. And I, if you don't understand it, I don't understand it either. It's a deep mystery. It's a deep mystery. I, I don't get how how Jesus can be fully representative of God and fully representative of man. And there are great studies and theology into all of that. I, I don't understand it fully. I don't need to. I need to know that he's my savior. And I can trust him. If there's someone in the room who hasn't trusted him, today's the day. It's the best opportunity you have. We don't know what's coming, but we can choose to follow him with all of our heart. We, um, we run a, a ministry called Norjavan. Norjavan means youth or young people in Hindi. And, and the, the whole heartbeat of Norjavan is, well, the mission is to inspire, develop, and equip an emerging generation of South Asians in their Christian walk because we recognize that's a whole untapped ministry area. We've got teams all around the UK and different parts of the world, and, and it's, it's an amazing challenge. We, we run events all over the place, even in this very room in the years gone by, where we've invited friends uh, to come who don't know Jesus. And, you know, pretty much every time we've done that, there have been friends who have said yes to Jesus for the first time. And these are people who are following some other belief system, some other religious code, a bit like my parents. And they choose to step out of that into relationship with Jesus. It's not always clean or straightforward. We've got a friend in Southampton where she became a Christian three and a half years ago in our flat uh, with my wife, Raksha. She, she, the best description of the gospel I've ever heard was, it's like everyone's got this amazing cake and I want a slice. That was what she said. And, um, and Raksha said to her, you can have a slice. You can have more than that. And prayed with her. And then for a year, she's from a Hindu background, and for a year she couldn't call herself a Christian. She didn't know how to, but God just kept touching her life, healed her for, from a couple of things and convicted her deeply of her sin. And, and she came to this very really beautiful faith and she's part of our team now she helps serve and she's going off to actually study theology in a, uh, a few months time it's an amazing turnaround watching this young life just transform there's nothing better than having front row seats to someone's life who is who is discovering jesus is their vision and turning and changing and you know the the, the pharisees had a real issue with jesus in this area as he as he claimed to be god obviously and 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 Jesus, in the middle of John 8, he, he throws this idea out. He says, Abraham rejoiced when he saw my day. And the Pharisees suddenly get a little bit confused. And they, they how can you say, you're not even 50 years old, they say to him. And Jesus, in this stunning reply, in the middle of John 8, he says, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, 
I am. And if you know anything about the phrase, I am, it's a weighty phrase for God. Not I will be, not I was, I am. I'm always present. God is outside of space and time. And Jesus says, he claims to be God. And, and obviously the Pharisees aren't fond of that. And they pick up stones to, to, to stone him and he escapes. The point is, if you've met Jesus, you've met God. And in John at 14, uh, the disciples didn't get it. The Pharisees didn't get it. The disciples didn't get it. Listen to this. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know, that my, fa- you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Still not getting it, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And now Jesus is getting a little bit upset. And he says, he replies back to him. He says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. There aren't many ways to God. There's one. Jesus isn't just a prophet. You know, when chatting with some of my Muslim friends, that's, that's where we're discussing. Is Jesus just a prophet? Well, he was, he was definitely prophetic. But he's not just a prophet. He wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a nice man. He may have been all of these things, but Jesus is of the same substance as the Father. He is God. And all the basis of heresy really comes from misunderstanding who Jesus actually is. Think down through the ages. Arius in the 4th century cl- claiming that Jesus actually wasn't God. He was, he was some kind of lesser being. And it was Constantine, the emperor at the time, who, who ended up saying, if you're listening to these writings of, of Arius, we're going we're gonna to remove that from you. We're going to burn you, in fact. It's a bit extreme. But that was his, his response. And we might not have the writings of Arius on our bookshelf, but we might have them in our heart. Sometimes we think, well, Jesus, you know, I don't really understand. I can't comprehend who you are. People think that Jesus was created. It says the firstborn over creation. That doesn't mean he was created. It means he had the place of honor that the firstborn would have. And in fact, he's the great uncreated one. Jesus is God. That's what this passage is really getting at. And Pete Gregg, who wrote that poem in his most recent book, I love this little description. Listen to this. He says, we believe in the blasphemous glory of Emmanuel. Infinity dwindled to infancy. As the poet once said, we believe in omnipotence surrendering to incontinence. The name above every other name rumored to be illegitimate. We believe that God's eternal word with a capital W once squealed like a baby. And when eventually he learned to speak, it was with a regional accent. The creator of the cosmos made tables and presumably he made them badly at first. The Holy One of Israel got dirt in the creases of his hands. The the book's called Dirty Glory and what he's talking about is God's glorious son came to earth and got down in the muck. And he got dirty. And as he touched the dirt, the dirt got glorious. Isn't that just the gospel? Each one of us a wreck, totally lost without a savior. Do you know, I don't stand here. Someone said it earlier. They're not an expert and neither am I. I'm a failure. And I know that. And so I come to the savior and say, help me. Help me. And it's via Jesus. Jesus is 
God. That's the first thing this shows. But it also says Jesus is creator. Verses 16 and 17. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in, all thing, in, and in him all things hold together. Do you know, just before Christmas, the polls said that more young people had been watching Planet Earth 2 than they had been watching X Factor. Did you know that? That's good because X Factor is rubbish. Um, but it's also good because we're fascinated with, our, with the world, aren't we? We're fascinated with God's incredible creation. Did you see the show? Did you see some of the stuff that was on there? You know, geckos running away from snakes and lions and buffalo. Incredible. And, and by the way, that's just planet Earth. It's stunning and it's just planet Earth. I found, I found it amazing watching, watching through that and, and seeing how, how incredible it was. And then when you start thinking about it, this verse is saying Jesus is that creator. He stepped into his creation 2,000 years ago. Totally unassuming. No one, he, was, he was no different to look at than any one of us. In fact, he probably looked a bit more like me than he did a bit more than some of you guys. <laughs> but nothing in him to attract us to him. That's what it says in Isaiah about him. And in fact, he wandered in and among his creation 30 years, hiding in plain sight, making tables. when you start to get into this, this is the creator, and he's hanging around doing that. What must that have been like for Jesus, walking around? Made that, made that, made that. The rock that he's standing on, mine, mine, (laughs) mine. Can you imagine? This is the God who invented tigers and thunderstorms and jungles. This is the God who dreamt up galaxies and suns and stars. This is the God who made human beings with all of their incredible output, creative, intellectual. This is that God harnessed in a man. And not only that, this verse goes on to say, not only is he creator, but he's sustainer. Do you know, it's not scientific principles that are holding the world together. It's not gravity, actually, that's holding you to your seat. Did you know that? This verse said it's... That it's Jesus, that he's holding it together, and if he lets go, it all unravels. And it goes even further. It doesn't just say he's creator and he's sustainer. It says all these things were made for him. Tigers, jungles, thunderstorms, they're made for him. Suns, galaxies, dark matter, planets, made for him. Human beings, with all of our output. Made for him. Can you imagine walking with Jesus 2,000 years ago? Can you imagine standing alongside him, flesh and blood, God, just, just seeing and experiencing that? The disciples didn't have a clue who they were dealing with, did they? They didn't know who they were dealing with, the magnitude of this man. Mary and Joseph, they were being faithful to God, but they didn't know who they were raising creator who was right among them and this is not the astonishing fact okay the astonishing fact is that he holds back this jesus with a click of the fingers could end it all but he doesn't if we're impressed with the god of tigers 
we will be blown away by the God of love and mercy and kindness. It goes way beyond his power to create, is to save. Do, do you know, the, the more I think about that, the more I, I, I wrestle with this God who steps into his creation, allows his creation to rip his body apart with whips, put a crown of thorns on his head and, and put nails into his hands and feet. That he would do, he didn't have to do that. He chose to do that for you and for me. Creator God, allowing his creation to take him to that place. Why? Because his love is greater than anything else. His love is more powerful than anything else. If you've not experienced his love, you may know his love, but if you've not experienced his love, today's a day to ask him for more. To ask him for more, for that, for that transference, really, from head to heart. There's something that, as I think about who this Jesus really is, it blows me away. And if you start to think on this enough, it's actually a little bit terrifying. How incredible this Jesus is. He is God. He is creator. And then this passage goes on. And it says that he's also head of the church. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy Jesus is the head of our family. As we think about going out to the world, and we think there's some wonderful things I've just heard this morning, you know, as these guys have led us in worship and and just the different things that are coming up. You know, prayer and outreach. (laughs) That's the mission. That's our mission. The church is the body that works for everyone else. We have this head who is Christ, and we are part of one family. Yes, we're We're based in Southampton, a different part of the same body. But the church with a capital C has Christ at the head. When we think about going out, are you afraid? Are you scared of the the world that's out there? Going onto the streets with the turning and, and, and talking to people about Jesus? You know, we spent years going door to door in Southampton. Just telling people about it. That is the like, least attractive thing in my mind, to go door to door um, and knock on doors and tell people about Jesus. It just seems so uncool um, in every way. And yet we've been doing that for years in the city. In fact, years before, uh, I, I think it was about a dozen times, we covered every single Asian home in the city of Southampton. We, we got the register from the library, and we knew the Asian names, and then we went. And we, we told people about Jesus. And we and this little patch that we're in, in Southampton, we're the only Christian place of worship where there are 10 places of worship. There are, there are mosques, uh, temples, and gurdwaras in that area. And we're the only place of Christian worship. And when I think about going out and reaching those people, there's a natural sense of fear. Lord, what are they going to say? What are they going to do? And this verse says, he's the head of our family. We don't go alone. The Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. When we think of that, the bit that surrounds it is Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Jesus, the, the creator of tigers, says all authority. And you go in my name. You go in my name. Why are we afraid? What is there to fear? It's not always easy. People will, will have many 
um, challenging conversations and questions. We did book tables in the middle of Southall some years ago and in Harrow where we were talking with people about Jesus. I remember talking with a, a group of uh, Muslim young lads, probably in their teens. They were pretty aggressive. And there was a few of us that were, were chatting with them about Jesus. And it was interesting because as four of them went away and one remained, the atmosphere changed. I mean, it's helpful to know a little bit about the culture and the setting in, in my world. But it, it was interesting that his attitude changed and he suddenly opened up to the Lord. And it's a challenge when we're out on the front line, as it were, sharing our faith, telling people about Jesus. And yet this verse says the head of the church is Jesus. He has the supremacy. I don't know how you find being part of church. (laughs) Does it excite you to be part of the body? Do you love the church? This says he's the firstborn among, from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. He's the firstborn from among the dead. I, I always read that and I thought, what do you mean? He's not the firstborn from among the dead. Jesus raised other people from, from death, didn't he? You know, think of Lazarus and others. And, and I always think it's quite sad because they, he raised them back to life, but then they had to die again. The resurrection that we're talking about with Jesus, you can't kill that. You can't kill it. He'll never... It will never be ended. And it says he's the firstborn because he goes first, so we get to follow suit. Each one of us is involved in resurrection business. Did you know that? We are a resurrection people. Where there's death and we turn up, there suddenly is life. Where there's darkness and we turn up, there's suddenly light. Because the, the power of the Holy Spirit, he lives in us. I'm not the most courageous person, but I know that the Lord lives within me, that he's with me. He goes with me. I don't need to have it all figured out because he goes with me. This is saying that Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead, the resurrection and the life. That's what he said about himself. And we get to be part of that resurrection. We're involved in resurrection business. And, and, and the whole thing finishes off in verse 20 by saying this. Let's just find it here. It says this. 19, sorry. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Why is Jesus supreme? Why is he awesome? Why should our response be, wow? It's because of his blood shed on the cross. He is worthy because he was obedient to the Father. He is worthy because he's the only one who did it. Sometimes when talking with other friends, we say, well, how can you say there's only one way? Well, because there's only one person who died and rose again. That's how we can say that. He has changed the course of history. If this stuff is to be believed, then everything is different as a result. We are a resurrection people. He is worthy of that honor and that glory and our worship and our time, not just on Sunday mornings, but Sunday afternoons as well, and all throughout the week in every activity that we do. I want you to think just for a few minutes of two or three people in your life right now that don't currently know Jesus. Just, just have a think in your mind. Maybe it's a, a, a relative. All of my mum's family are Hindus, all of them. So they're top of my prayer list. <laughs> 
I could pray for someone else to come reach them, or I could go and do it. Maybe it's a colleague at work. Maybe it's someone you recently met. How can we ask God to do things in us when we are looking at this broken world and walking just by it? I was convicted years ago that there's no way, Lord, I can ask for more of you here if I'm not as broken as you are for the world that's out there. That's something that is constant for me. Lord, fill me up, yes, but I want to go and, and see the world saved. I want to make, play my part. I want to play the part. I want to be faithful even when I don't see it happening. I want to keep loving you and keep, keep praying towards that goal. Remember, Jesus is God. He is creator. He is head of the church and he's supreme because he took the hit that we deserved. And we get to be friends with him. If you've come to know Jesus, he's revealed something of himself to you. My prayer this morning is that he would reveal more. (laughs) There's always more. How much of God do you want? You can have as much as you want because there's enough of him to go around. Would it be okay if we just pray into that for a minute? I, I, I wasn't sure what we should do here, but I'm just thinking this. If that's you this morning and you want a greater revelation of Jesus, would you just stand right now? Amazing. There's no pressure to do it. Don't do it just because the person next to you is. If you want more of Jesus, we want to see him to be filled with courage and light. Then let's pray. Maybe you want to put your hands out in front of you and say, Lord, I'm open to you. There's nothing magical or mystical about that. It's just an opportunity to invite him. So, Father, Holy Spirit, Lord, we just come before you now. Broken people. We're not clever. We don't have all the wisdom. We don't know where we're going even sometimes. And yet, Lord, we open ourselves up before you this morning and we say, fill us again. Fill us again. Open our eyes to more of you. May we see Jesus for who he really is. Lord, increase our vision. We don't want to walk out of this place, pygmy Christians. We want to leave with a spiritual stature that is much larger and greater because of who we know you to be. Father, may you convict our hearts again of sin that barriers us so easily. May you remind us of the magnitude of the God that you are, of the fact that you stepped down into our darkness, into a dirty world, and you've, you've given us the option to live pure and to live right with your power. And so, Father, I pray for every single person standing in the room now. Would you fill them with the grace of Jesus? Would you remind them of your love and your affections towards them? Would you catch our heart's desire, Lord, that everything we do, whether it seems mundane or super spiritual, Lord, that it would be all about you. Make us completely whole in this way, I pray, Father. We have nothing to offer, Lord, but we we know you are the the giver of life. And, And I want to pray for the two or three people we thought about that don't yet know you in our lives, Lord. And we pray also for those on the streets that we're to meet, Lord. We think of this great initiative to go out at the end of April. Lord. We think of every conversation that's yet to be had. 
Father, we pray that you would break through these men and women in the room, that you'd use each one to reach out into dark places, to bring your light and to bring your love, that, Lord, as a result of these prayers, as a result of our openness before you today, that there would be many more souls in the kingdom. Give us that vision, we pray. Give us that vision, we pray. And, Lord, we pray more than anything else, we would see you. We would see you for who you really are. Lord, open our eyes, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.